BFM 89.9, The Business Station. My name is Rich Bradbury. Welcome to Matt Splained. Um, more weird science today, which either means Matt's out of ideas or he's found a bunch of stories that he's so excited about, he needs to tell us all about them quickly and in a flurry. Hey, Richard. Well, obviously, it's the uh, the latter, uh, as uh, this first story is going to uh, aptly illustrate. Uh, we're going to start today with one of the biggest breakthroughs, I think, in science of the year. None of this Twitter or X nonsense, none of this stuff about crypto kings going on trial. This is a genuine scientific breakthrough. Was my dramatic pause long enough? Um, well, you could have had longer if you wanted. No, no, I, I don't want to risk it. That's right. Well, um, thanks to the tireless work of practically the entire scientific community of the world, we now know why cats purr. Yep. I can, I can hear the collective gasps from the smart speakers that send me all your deepest and darkest thoughts. Uh, you see, while we, we sort of knew how and why cats purr, there was always the mystery of why those purrs should be so low-pitched in such a small animal. Mm. Because, you know, it's, it's long been accepted that uh, uh, larger animals, animals that have uh, longer vocal folds, will produce lower frequency sounds. So consequently, you might expect cats because, you know, they're smaller, so they have uh, smaller vocal folds. Mm. You would expect their purrs to resonate at a higher pitch, but for some reason they don't. But, you know, isn't that kind of what cats do, the opposite of what you expect them to do? That's kind of what it means to be a cat, right? Well, that is a, a valid point, um, and it's not just love of cats that has had scientists researching this. You know, given their size and, uh, as we said, the length of their vocal folds, they should be incapable of producing such low-pitched purrs. So this incongruity is what's led a team from the University of Vienna to go down this rabbit hole. I, I thought there'd be a joke about cats and rabbit holes here somewhere. No, when you've cleaned up as many severed rabbit heads as I have, there's really nothing to, oh, to joke about. Uh, although scientists should be researching how cats get enormous wild rabbits through cat flaps and into your kitchen and living room. Uh, yeah. um, although I think that's more of a task for uh, mathematics and physics rather than biology. Uh, my theory is that they just transport from one side of the door to the other when no one's looking, which of course <laughs> supports my cats are aliens hypothesis. Okay, I, I, back to the purring, please. Okay, uh, I never thought I'd uh, hear you say that to me. I'm touched. Uh, the uh, Austrian team has uh, proposed a, a hypothesis centered around muscle contractions in the larynx, believing that this might be the secret ingredient enabling cats to produce that signature purr. So this story uh, comes via the new scientist, by the way. To validate this, they conducted an experiment involving the larynxes of eight domestic cats. And in case anyone is wondering whether there was any cruelty involved, uh, they were taken from cats who had to be put down because of illness. Right. So the team discovered that even without muscle contractions, the larynxes could produce a purring sound 
when air was passed through them. Now, huh. the reason why, yeah, turned out to be a special connective tissue embedded within the vocal folds, which effectively lowers the frequency of the sounds they produce, enabling the creation of, you know, the wonderfully cute purring that all right-minded people love. <laughs> While uh, this connective tissue has been identified in cats before, it hadn't been thought to be linked to the actual frequency of the purring. Okay, um, but has there been any advance in knowing the reason for the purring? Well, as you know, very few animals purr. Um, cheetahs and lynx are, are two animals who are known to purr. But again, science doesn't really know why. A lot of theories have been put forward. One of the, the most popular is that purring is a display of contentment and can be interpreted as a, an invitation for continued interaction. So, mm. you know, that's why uh, cats purr when they're around people. But cats also purr in other contexts, the uh, moments of pain, moments of distress, suggesting that it is actually a more complex reflex mechanism. There are theories that the purring could serve as a way to soothe the animal, uh, potentially even promoting healing after a, a, an injury due to the, the vibrations it produces. So the frequency of the vibrations might actually uh, help healing. And another I've heard is that the low purrs of domestic cats might be an adaptation to sounds that humans prefer because the low rumble is more soothing than an animal that sounds like a bandsaw every time <laughs> you, you stroke it. So um, as I said before, I'm hoping that uh, the whole of the world's scientific community is going to develop itself to uh, answering these feline questions very soon. All right. Um, I guess before we move on then, do we have any more uh, pet-related news? Yeah, this is the latest report from uh, Culture Pop's own newly launched research centre. Uh, now, this is known as Knife, which was uh, set up to cut through the massive disinformation that uh, is out there. Uh, all right. Be before we get too excited, what exactly does Knife stand for? Uh, the Know Nothing Institute of Factual Examination. <laughs> right. Business as usual then. <laughs> well, yes. Um, we just released a, a survey that has conclusively found that dog owners are controlling psychopaths. Now, this is, <laughs> this is proper research. We follow rigid test criteria. In fact, we're remaking industry best practices. And we even have a comprehensive peer reviewing system. So, uh, in other words... You just make it up, you review it, and then you publish it. Just because the survey sample is limited to me, that doesn't make it any less valid. Uh, and there's going to be more data from Knife coming in future episodes, so watch this space. Now, seeing how much cats and dogs like to lick their owners, I thought this next story would be quite appropriate. This is a robot tongue, because... Who wouldn't want a disembodied machine tongue hanging around in their kitchen? It would be like having a, a Rolling Stones poster that actually does stuff. Uh, in fact, I'm actually hoping that the Rolling Stones lips and tongue logo is the model that scientists have used for that because, you know, that would be cool. My word. Uh, okay, before we disappear down another storm drain in Matt's psyche, why is someone making a robot tongue? Well, researchers at Penn State are engineering the electric tongue uh, that can 
detect gas and chemical molecules uh, with components that are just a few atoms thick. Now, obviously, this is for industrial rather than domestic use, and its purpose is to provide precise taste analysis without, you know, that, that element of human subjectivity. So if you think about the food industry, for example, tasters are required to test mm. every stage or every minute change in the recipe of the foods we buy in supermarkets. Now, while I can't imagine these machines replacing them completely, they could, of course, easily weed out the obviously unpleasant ones, you know, the ones that might be too salty or too bitter or, you know, the kind of thing. I'm just thinking about, you know, tasting crisps as a uh, a new career move. Um, anyway, but I guess technology like this then could be used to influence our diets or even curate restaurant menus, stuff like that. That kind of thing, or to, as you said, uh, uh, taste crisps. Um, <laughs> up until now, you know, trying to replicate how we respond to taste has been beyond the capacity of machines. They can mm. measure the amount of salt or other elements that are in something, but not really, you know, not really pass or understand what those results mean. Because, you know, human eating habits and taste preferences are very complex. They're influenced mm. not just by those nutritional needs, but also by psychological and emotional factors. So as the pen team notes, uh, that human behavior, while it's observable, is actually challenging to measure and replicate in robots because it requires some amount of emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. This new tool is designed to, to be uh, adaptable enough to, if not provide that emotional intelligence, then at least cater to all the five major taste profiles, you know, salty, sour, bittersweet, and of course, umami. I'm always just a little bit reticent to ask how these things work in case you say something um, horrific. Well, Okay, I know I've kind of muddied the waters a bit by talking about a disembodied tongue. So it's really just a sensor or an array of sensors. So There you uh, go. Yes, exactly. So I know that's what the tongue is too, but the tongue is a lot more than that. You know, it's a, a major organ. It you know, helps us talk, blah, blah, blah. So the robotongue is described as a flat, square, electronic gustatory complex. Didn't Wait, think I'd be... Is that what they call it, the robotongue? Well, they're, they're calling it the, the robotongue, yes, but it is an electronic gustatory complex. Or uh, is it, this something that knife research has come up with? No, no, no. This is genuine from the uh, okay. from the actual story. Uh, uh, you it, said genuine, which means that knife research is in... No, never mind, we'll get to that later. Knife research is genuine, uh, but it comes with a disclaimer, like uh, some billionaire's uh, statements of uh, value. Anyway, okay. back to um, the Robotong. Yeah, it combines graphene based uh, chemitransistors, sensors that detect gas and chemical molecules, uh, with now, I can't even say this, let alone understand what it means. Uh, <laughs> molybdenum disulfide uh, mem transistors uh, which apparently are possible of simulating neurons so mm -hmm. like i said i don't pretend to understand the science but these components work together to simulate the human ability to taste molecular inputs so the hope is that in the future we can train ai systems to 
provide that kind of consistency in in tasting. I already mentioned quality control in food development. You know, a machine that provides consistent, unbiased feedback. You know, there's potential for that. I think in in so many industries, not just the the food industries. But anyway, another story. Can I I give you a hand going into the break? Um. I'm I'm not entirely sure how to, to to take that. It's a kind of a sentence design that might strike fear into any seasoned presenter's heart. I, I mean, don't be dramatic. I mean a, a literal hand. You know, in in the past <laughs> we've talked about uh, the progress in robotic hands and and grip, usually in industrial robots and prosthetics. Mm. We've talked about improving the sensors and cameras surrounding the machines so that they have uh, more awareness of where they exist relative to the subject or the object that they're, they're trying to manipulate. Uh, we've talked about uh, developments in pressure sensors that enable them to grip small or fragile objects without crushing them. But mm. I don't think we've ever had an assistive hand on the show before. But mm. Yeah, that seems to be what researchers at the University of California, Berkeley, are in the process of developing. Uh, a robotic hand that can manipulate complex objects, things like toy planes, even Rubik's Cubes, without dropping them. And there's a really cool video of the hand in operation on New Scientist's uh, YouTube channel, if you want to take a look. I do now. Uh, what enables it to be so uh, dexterous then? Well, unlike a lot of previous systems, this hand has the ability to rotate objects along three axes. So it's right. moving in more directions. Traditional robotic grasping calculates the center of mass and it has a general idea about how an object should be placed. The University of California team has given it more information about where it is and how it should behave. So to get the hand to work, the team had to develop a, a sophisticated computer algorithm known as uh, Rototelt. And again, genuine, not something I've made up. Uh, they trained a, a learning model in a simulation. They provided it with details about you know, object shapes and sizes. And they taught it to rotate the object in the simulation as extensively as possible. So they know they have as much information mm. uh, as they possibly can about the shape and about the, the landscape that surrounds it. For the real-world tests, the system was fed visual and touch inputs, enabling the robotic hand to uh, manipulate objects with enhanced precision. Mm. And the result is a machine that can not only handle, you know, unusually shaped objects or objects that need to be manipulated in, in strange ways. It can actually change its grasp on an object once it's been picked up, which is, again, something that humans do, you know, as second nature, but yeah, something yeah. That, that machines find very, very difficult. I'm thinking of a whole bunch of industries that this can go into, but let's keep it clean. Um, it's obviously something that can be very useful for stuff like automated uh, manufacturing lines and processes. Yeah, smart factories, RPA, that, that kind yeah. of thing. So um, it means that the, the components don't have to be placed in an ordered manner because the system is adaptable. So it's yeah. much more like a human worker. So there is potentially to increase efficiency in things like smart factories. Hmm. Now, 
the team acknowledges it's still quite limited. Uh, it currently struggles with slender objects like pencils and screwdrivers because that requires a different kind or different set of dexterity skills. Uh, and if you're still a little bit confused about what the idea of a, a, a home hand might be useful for, other than <laughs> creepy Adams Family references and uh, and jokes, uh, although I mean that's a pretty good good reason yeah, to yeah. have you know a hand under your pillow when you wake up in the morning uh but imagine all those things that you've always wished you had an extra hand or arm to help with you know things like doing plumbing or other diy work where you need an extra hand to hold the screwdriver or the, yes. the wrench or the nut uh the same with car maintenance work uh, anything where you need, you know, extra fingers to get into hard-to-reach places. I mean, gardening, imagine a hand on a pole to help cut hard-to-reach branches or, or plants. The same with painting, doing fine painting work up on a ceiling or around light fittings where, mm. you know, you need very high ladders and mm -hmm. it's very difficult to, to reach. I mean, I tell you, Elon Musk should buy this patent and get his robotics division to churn this out because... This, I think, has the potential to be massive. Wow. Well, there you have it, folks. The first time a segment on Matt's plane has ended with a huge hand for Elon Musk. Um, it's not even worth speculating on what's coming after the break, though. Of course, you tune into Matt's plane here on BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. My name is Rich Bradbury. Welcome to Matt Splained. Um, more weird science today, which either means Matt's out of ideas or he's found a bunch of stories that he's so excited about, he needs to tell us all about them quickly and in a flurry. Hey, Richard. Well, obviously it's the, uh, the latter, uh, as uh, this first story is going to uh, aptly illustrate. Uh, we're going to start today with one of the biggest breakthroughs, I think, in science of the year. None of this Twitter or X nonsense, none of this stuff about crypto kings going on trial. This is a genuine scientific breakthrough. Was my dramatic pause long enough? Um, well, you could have had longer if you wanted. No, no, I, I don't want to risk it. That's right. Well, um, thanks to the tireless work of practically the entire scientific community of the world, we now know why cats purr. Yep. I can, I can hear the collective gasps from the smart speakers that send me all your deepest and darkest thoughts. Uh, you see, while we, we sort of knew how and why cats purr, there was always the mystery of why those purrs should be so low-pitched in such a small animal. Mm. Because, you know, it's it's long been accepted that uh, uh, larger animals, animals that have uh, longer vocal folds, will produce lower frequency sounds. So consequently, you might expect cats because, you know, they're smaller, so they have uh, smaller vocal folds. Mm. You would expect their purrs to resonate at a higher pitch, but for some reason they don't. But, you know, 
Isn't that kind of what cats do, the opposite of what you expect them to do? That's kind of what it means to be a cat, right? Well, that is a, a valid point. Um, and it's not just love of cats that has had scientists researching this. You know, given their size and, uh, as we said, the length of their vocal folds, they should be incapable of producing such low-pitched purrs. So this incongruity is what's led a team from the University of Vienna to go down this rabbit hole. I, I thought there'd be a joke about cats and rabbit holes here somewhere. No, when you've cleaned up as many severed rabbit heads as I have, there's really nothing to, oh, to joke about. Uh, although scientists should be researching how cats get enormous wild rabbits through cat flaps and into your kitchen and living room. Uh, yeah. um, although I think that's more of a task for uh, mathematics and physics rather than biology. Uh, my theory is that they just transport from one side of the door to the other when no one's looking, which of course <laughs> supports my cats are aliens hypothesis. Okay. I, I, back to the purring, please. Okay. Uh, I never thought I'd uh, hear you say that to me. I'm touched. Uh, the, uh, Austrian team has uh, proposed a, a hypothesis centered around muscle contractions in the larynx, believing that this might be the secret ingredient enabling cats to produce that signature purr. So this story uh, comes via the new scientist, by the way. To validate this, they conducted an experiment involving the larynxes of eight domestic cats. And in case anyone is wondering whether there was any cruelty involved, uh, they were taken from cats who had to be put down because of illness. Right. So the team discovered that even without muscle contractions, the larynxes could produce a purring sound when air was passed through them. Now, huh. the reason why, yeah, turned out to be a special connective tissue embedded within the vocal folds, which effectively lowers the frequency of the sounds they produce, enabling the creation of, you know, the wonderfully cute purring that all right-minded people love. <laughs> While uh, this connective tissue has been identified in cats before, it hadn't been thought to be linked to the actual frequency of the purring. Okay, um, but has there been any advance in knowing the reason for the purring? Well, as you know, very few animals purr. Um, cheetahs and lynx are, are two animals who are known to purr. But again, science doesn't really know why. A lot of theories have been put forward. One of the, the most popular is that purring is a display of contentment and can be interpreted as a, an invitation for continued interaction. So, mm. you know, that's why uh, cats purr when they're around people. But cats also purr in other contexts, the uh, moments of pain, moments of distress, suggesting that it is actually a more complex reflex mechanism. There are theories that the purring could serve as a way to soothe the animal, uh, potentially even promoting healing after a, a, an injury due to the, the vibrations it produces. So the frequency of the vibrations might actually uh, help healing. And another I've heard is that the low purrs of domestic cats might be an adaptation to sounds that humans prefer because the low rumble is more soothing than an animal that sounds like a bandsaw every time <laughs> you, you stroke it. So um, as I said before, I'm hoping that uh, the whole of the world's scientific community is going to develop itself to uh, answering these feline questions very soon. All right. Um, I guess before we move on then, do we have any more uh, pet-related news? 
Yeah, this is the latest report from uh, Culture Pop's own newly launched research centre. And uh, now this is known as Knife, which was uh, set up to cut through the massive disinformation that uh, is out there. Uh, all right. Be before we get too excited, what exactly does Knife stand for? Uh, the Know Nothing Institute of Factual Examination. <laughs> right. Business as usual then. <laughs> well, yes. Um, we just released a, a survey that has conclusively found that dog owners are controlling psychopaths. Now, this is, <laughs> this is proper research. We follow rigid test criteria. In fact, we're remaking industry best practices. And we even have a comprehensive peer reviewing system. So, uh, in other words... You just make it up, you review it, and then you publish it. Just because the survey sample is limited to me, that doesn't make it any less valid. Uh, and there's going to be more data from Knife coming in future episodes, so watch this space. Now, seeing how much cats and dogs like to lick their owners, I thought this next story would be quite appropriate. This is a robot tongue, because... Who wouldn't want a disembodied machine tongue hanging around in their kitchen? It would be like having a, a Rolling Stones poster that actually does stuff. Uh, in fact, I'm actually hoping that the Rolling Stones lips and tongue logo is the model that scientists have used for that because, you know, that would be cool. My word. Uh, okay, before we disappear down another storm drain in Matt's psyche, why is someone making a robot tongue? Well, researchers at Penn State are engineering the electric tongue uh, that can detect gas and chemical molecules uh, with components that are just a few atoms thick. Now, obviously, this is for industrial rather than domestic use, and its purpose is to provide precise taste analysis without you know, that, that element of human subjectivity. So if you think about the food industry, for example, tasters are required to test mm. every stage or every minute change in the recipe of the foods we buy in supermarkets. Now, while I can't imagine these machines replacing them completely, they could, of course, easily weed out the obviously unpleasant ones, you know, the ones that might be too salty or too bitter or, you know, the kind of thing. I'm just thinking about, you know, tasting crisps as a, uh, a new career move. Um, anyway, but I guess technology like this then could be used to influence our diets or even curate restaurant menus, stuff like that. That kind of thing, or to, as you said, uh, uh, taste crisps. Um, <laughs> up until now, you know, trying to replicate how we respond to taste has been beyond the capacity of machines. They can mm. measure the amount of salt or other elements that are in something, but not really, you know, not really pass or understand what those results mean. Because, you know, human eating habits and taste preferences are very complex. They're influenced mm. not just by those nutritional needs, but also by psychological and emotional factors. So as the pen team notes, uh, that human behavior, while it's observable, is actually challenging to measure and replicate in robots because it requires some amount of emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. This new tool is designed to, to be uh, adaptable enough to, if not provide that emotional intelligence, then at least cater to all the five major taste profiles, you know, salty, sour, bitter, sweet, and of course, umami. I'm always 
just a little bit reticent to ask how these things work in case you say something um, horrific. Well, okay, I know I've kind of muddied the waters a bit by talking about a disembodied tongue. So it's really just a sensor or an array of sensors. So There you uh, go. Yes, exactly. So I know that's what the tongue is too, but the tongue is a lot more than that. You know, it's a, a major organ. It, you know, helps us talk, blah, blah, blah. So the robotongue is described as a flat, square, electronic gustatory complex. Didn't Wait, think I'd be... is that what they call it, the robotongue? Well, they're, they're calling it the, the robotongue, yes, but it is an electronic gustatory complex. Or uh, is this it, something that knife research has come up with? No, no, no. This is genuine from the uh, okay. from the actual story. Uh, uh, you it, said genuine, which means that knife research is in. No, never mind. We'll get to that later. Knife research is genuine, <laughs> uh, but it comes with a disclaimer, like uh, some billionaires' uh, statements of uh, value. Anyway, okay. back to um, the robotong. Yeah, it combines graphene-based uh, chemitransistors, sensors that detect gas and chemical molecules, uh, with now, I can't even say this, let alone understand what it means. Uh, <laughs> molybdenum disulfide uh, mem transistors, uh, which apparently are possible of simulating neurons. So, mm -hmm. like I said, I don't pretend to understand the science, but these components work together to simulate the human ability to taste molecular inputs. So the hope is that in the future we can train AI systems to provide that kind of consistency in in tasting i already mentioned quality control in food development you know a machine that provides consistent unbiased feedback you know there's potential for that i think in in so many industries not just the the food industries but anyway another story can i i give you a hand going into the break um I'm, I'm not entirely sure how to, to, to take that. It's a kind of a sentence design that might strike fear into any seasoned presenter's heart. I mean, don't be dramatic. I mean a, a literal hand. You know, in, in the past, we've <laughs> talked about uh, the progress in robotic hands and, and grip, usually in industrial robots and prosthetics. Mm. We've talked about improving the sensors and cameras surrounding the machines so that they have uh, more awareness of where they exist relative to the subject or the object that they're, they're trying to manipulate. Uh, we've talked about uh, developments in pressure sensors that enable them to grip small or fragile objects without crushing them. But mm. I don't think we've ever had an assistive hand on the show before. But mm. Yeah, that seems to be what researchers at the University of California, Berkeley, are in the process of developing. Uh, a robotic hand that can manipulate complex objects, things like toy planes, even Rubik's Cubes, without dropping them. And there's a really cool video of the hand in operation on New Scientist's uh, YouTube channel, if you want to take a look. I do now. Uh, what enables it to be so uh, dexterous then? Well, unlike a lot of previous systems, this hand has the ability to rotate objects along three axes. So it's right. moving in more directions. Traditional robotic grasping calculates the center of mass and it has a general idea about how an object should be placed. The University of California team 
has given it more information about where it is and how it should behave. So to get the hand to work, the team had to develop a, a sophisticated computer algorithm known as uh, Rotatelt. And again, genuine, not something I've made up. Uh, they trained a, a learning model in a simulation. They provided it with details about you know, object shapes and sizes. And they taught it to rotate the object in the simulation as extensively as possible. So they know they have as much information mm. uh, as they possibly can about the shape and about the landscape that surrounds it. For the real-world tests, the system was fed visual and touch inputs, enabling the robotic hand to uh, manipulate objects with enhanced precision. Mm. And the result is a machine that can not only handle, you know, unusually shaped objects or objects that need to be manipulated in, in strange ways, it can actually change its grasp on an object once it's been picked up, which is, again, something that humans do, you know, as second nature, but yeah, something yeah. That, that machines find very, very difficult. I'm thinking of a whole bunch of industries that this can go into, but let's keep it clean. Um, it's obviously something that can be very useful for stuff like automated uh, manufacturing lines and processes. Yeah, smart factories, RPA, that, that kind yeah. of thing. So um, it means that the the components don't have to be placed in an ordered manner because the system is adaptable. So it's yeah. much more like a human worker. So there is potentially to increase efficiency in things like smart factories. Hmm. Now, the team acknowledges it's still quite limited. Uh, it currently struggles with slender objects like pencils and screwdrivers because that requires a different kind or different set of dexterity skills. Uh, and if you're still a little bit confused about what the idea of a, a, a home hand might be useful for, other than <laughs> creepy Adams family references and, uh, and jokes, uh, although, I mean, that's a pretty good good reason yeah, to yeah. have you know a hand under your pillow when you wake up in the morning uh but imagine all those things that you've always wished you had an extra hand or arm to help with you know things like doing plumbing or other diy work where you need an extra hand to hold the screwdriver or the, yes. the wrench or the nut uh the same with car maintenance work uh, anything where you need, you know, extra fingers to get into hard-to-reach places. I mean, gardening, imagine a hand on a pole to help cut hard-to-reach branches or, or plants. The same with painting, doing fine painting work up on a ceiling or around light fittings where, mm. you know, you need very high ladders and mm -hmm. it's very difficult to, to reach. I mean, I tell you, Elon Musk should buy this patent and get his robotics division to churn this out because... This, I think, has the potential to be massive. Wow. Well, there you have it, folks. The first time a segment on Matt's plane has ended with a huge hand for Elon Musk. Um, it's not even worth speculating on what's coming after the break, though. Of course, you tune into Matt's plane here on BFM 89.9, the business station. <laughs> 